If you will, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9 this morning. Proverbs chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find our text uh, in the Pew Bibles, in the Pew Rack in front of you, uh, on page 533. Page 533. And I want to finish our series in Proverbs by looking at Proverbs 9 as a reminder of what this series has been all about. For some of us, we've enjoyed uh, this series on Proverbs because uh, there's some sort of fortune cookie aspect to the book of Proverbs. You know, you go and have a wonderful uh, Chinese meal, and at the end of the meal, you get that sweet little uh, cookie wrapped up in the cellophane, and, and you're all excited. It's kind of like Christmas morning in, in August or September where you, you open up that little cookie, and you're more concerned about the contents within the cookie than you are the cookie itself, which is kind of an odd thing for a big guy like me. But uh, but I, I want to see what the, the little message says, and I open it up, and, and there's that little anecdote, that little maxim, that little saying that, uh, number one, probably makes us laugh right away. We take that piece of paper, and we hand it to someone and say, hey, look at what mine says. And, and some of them make us think, maybe because they, uh, they have a connection to something we're dealing with, or, or a decision, or, or maybe we're uh, waiting on an answer, and it says that good fortune is about to come your way. And we stop and pause for a moment, but I'm going to imagine that many of us don't stick on the teachings or the thoughts of a fortune cookie. Probably by the end of the night, you've long forgotten what was on that little piece of paper. Uh, Hopefully, you're not walking around with that fortune cookie uh, thing and and taking it to work and saying, hey, boss, look what my fortune cookie says, or or, hey, wife, you know, know, the meal was supposed to be good. It said good things were going to happen today. And we can do that with the book of Proverbs. We can take it and we can make the book of Proverbs a series of little fortune cookie messages, a little anecdotes, little maxims that, that cause us to think, maybe cause us for a moment to ponder, uh, maybe to chuckle a little bit. There's some Proverbs in there that, quite frankly, are funny within the Scriptures. But I want to remind you that, that our study has not been just these little thoughts, these pithy little statements that help us to take pause in our life but that they come from the heart of God. And these Proverbs are there for our good. They are to guide us to what wisdom is all about. They are to guide us and direct us to what real and true living uh, is to look like. They are to protect us from all kinds of troubles, all kinds of error, all kinds of uh, issues that we find ourselves too gullible uh, to look beyond. The book of Proverbs is a reminder, an important reminder, of you and I, that we are sinners. And each and every time that we see foolishness and our foolish decisions getting us into trouble is a reminder how sinful you and I really are. But Proverbs also is a reminder that we serve and worship a great Savior. You see, Proverbs is 31 chapters. It's a hymnal of praise, lifting up and proclaiming the greatness of wisdom, Uh, the uh, utter amazingness, if you will, of wisdom. That wisdom is to be something that we cherish and treasure and we continue each of these different weeks and, and we could go on for months out of the study of Proverbs and praise wisdom for what it is. But I want to remind you this morning that we're not praising just some thoughts. We're not just praising some ideas. We're not just praising a guidebook. We're praising a person because wisdom is Jesus Christ. And it is in Jesus Christ that we find 
our wisdom this morning. And I want to look at Proverbs 9 and tie it up, if you will, with a bow, uh, this package that we've been given by God himself. And I want to do so as we read this text together, and then we'll jump right into our, our time together this morning in the text. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word as we get into Proverbs 9 for one last time as a congregation in this series to look at what the Word of God says through the hand of Solomon and from the heart of God. Wisdom has built her house. She has honed uh, three, uh, sorry, she has honed her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. Reprove a wise man and he'll love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he'll be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat of the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let them turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and her her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for the book of Proverbs, for what it teaches us, for how it protects us. How it guides us to truth. But more importantly, how it points to our sin and our Savior. And so Lord, as we look at two different paths by which we can go, two different houses that that invite us in, two different banquets that, that are placed before us, Lord, we see that a decision will need to be made. And so Lord, I pray for each and every one that is in this place, Father, that, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would do some real business today and ask the question, which home am I entering into? Which banquet am I sitting down to eat? Which woman am I having a relationship with? Is it woman wisdom or woman folly? And that, Lord, we would turn to your wisdom and we would turn to your Son, Jesus Christ. It is there, Lord, you tell us, our lives will be multiplied, our years will be added and that we might experience the abundance of what it means to live wise lives in you. So Lord, I pray for our time in your word and ask your blessing on it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. 
When I was younger, I was not much of a reader. In fact, I really didn't like reading all that much. And I remember uh, one day at a book fair, my mom purchased a book. Uh, I was probably uh, eight, nine, maybe ten years of age. And she purchased a book that she thought might help me to start enjoying reading. And, and she was right. She had picked up a book that uh, was incredibly well known for those that are in my generation of, of life right now. The title uh, was a series of books called Choose Your Own Adventure. How many remember those books? Choose Your Own Adventure. Okay, some of you remember it. And, and what it was, was it, it puts you as the character of the story. You became the main focus of the story. And, and, and so they would put this uh, storyline together. And about three or four pages into it, it would ask you a question. Do you want to go in direction A or, or direction B? How, how do you want to progress in the story? And if you wanted to go, if you will, towards A, you would turn to page 33. If you wanted to go the other way, you would turn to page you know, 37. And you could find yourself reading uh, two very different books based on the decisions that you made at those certain decision points in the book. Now, these books were huge. They sold 250 million copies between 1979 and 1998. And one of the biggest reasons why was because it always had the reader asking the question, what am I going to do? And that seemed to spark a, a really uh, close point to the heart of us as human beings, of being in control, if you will, uh, of our own destiny, wanting to determine where we're going to go. And Proverbs 9, Solomon writes, if you will, a choose-your-own-adventure proverb today. You see, he puts before us a decision And we have a decision to make between which home we're going to enter into, which banquet we're going to sit down and eat, which woman we're going to relate with. And and amidst that, he does so uh, by sharing 18 verses that I think are important for us to examine this morning. Now, I want you to know that Solomon breaks these 18 verses up into three sections. Six on what I would call lady uh, wisdom. Six on woman folly, if you will, and six on the characteristics of what it means to be a scoffer or what it means to embrace wisdom. Six, six, six. So we're going to talk about the mark of the beast this morning, and uh, we're going to, no, we're not going to address that, and there's no spiritual value to, to those things except this. Solomon wants to be completely fair in his articulation of why one should choose wisdom over folly, but he, what he doesn't want to do is create a straw man argument that in essence says uh, to uh, we, uh, woman folly, if you will, uh, these ad hominem attacks, you know, things that aren't even true. So what he does is he says, I'm going to talk six verses on this, I'm going to talk six verses on uh, folly, and then I'm going to tell you some of the characteristics of what happens if you choose one or the other. And so notice in our text this morning that his goal is to show both wisdom and folly and to allow the reader, you and I, to come to a conclusion on what we are going to do. There's a decision that will need to be made at the end of this message. Am I going to go after one or the other? I want to look at this under three headings this morning. And the first one we need to look at is there are two appeals of delight. There are two appeals of delight. Notice in the text, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 6, Lady Wisdom speaks, and she's advertising. In essence, you're the customer, and Lady Wisdom comes out, and Lady Wisdom shows for all of us, the customers, 
what she has to offer, why you should choose her over her competitor. And then starting in verse 13, going through verse 18, Woman Folly comes out and says, well, I know Lady Wisdom has shared some things, but, but now it's my turn. I want to share with you why you should choose me, why you should pursue me, why you should eat in my home, why you should be involved in the things that I'm a part of. And then we have to ask the question this morning, which one are we going to choose? So let's look at their sales pitch this morning. There's, there's two of them. First of all, we see the calling of the wise. And we see that Lady Wisdom comes, and notice what she says once again. She's built her house, she's set or built her seven pillars, she's slaughtered her beast, she's mixed her wine, she has set her table, she has sent out young women to call from the highest places, she calls to the simple, hey, come in here, she says. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat of my bread, drink of the wine I've mixed, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. There's her sales pitch. I want you to be wise, she says. Come and live with me. Come and eat with me. Come and and, uh, be a part of all that I'm a part of. And wisdom and insight and, and knowledge will come. Your simpleton ways of thinking will be gone. I want you to notice a couple things about what she advertises. Notice, first of all, that when she does her sales pitch, wisdom wants you to look at her home. Notice she begins to point out, first of all, the pillars in her home. She has seven of them, and these pillars, it it tells us that she has created them. She has built them. She has constructed them. She has whittled them with her own hands, if you will. And she points out these pillars to remind you that when you enter into wisdom's house, you can be rest assured that the home that she has is completely stable. What she's showing you is the foundation of the home that she's inviting you into. Now I want you to also see that it's not that she's bought these things and has assumed their reliability or their durability based on uh, the little tag where she got it at at the local Menards or Home Depot. She has built these things herself. She knows the load that can be taken, the storms that can batter the home, that wisdom says, I can uphold this wall and this structure by the power of these pillars because I know what was built into them. Notice, she says, there are seven of them. Anytime you see in Hebrew literature the number seven, it is not there just because that's what number they used. Seven was always a picture of completeness. And so that stability, that strength was one that could stand any storm, any disaster that would come. And so wisdom says, come into my home, you'll be stable, you'll be secure, you won't have to worry about the threats and be anxious about the things that are going on. You come and you live with me and all is well, not because I just tell you that, because I've shown you the craftsmanship of the house that I've built. Now notice she goes on and she says, come into my dining room. Come into my dining room and you'll see I've been busy at work. I've been preparing for you. I want you to notice the table. I want you to notice the food on the table. That slaughtered animal uh, gives us a picture in verse 2. A picture of one who is ready for a special guest to come. You didn't slaughter an animal just for an every, everyday ordinary meal. You slaughtered the animal, that wild game if you will. For a special guest who is going to come. And so she says, you're special. 
I want you to come and I want you to, to partake. We have slaughtered the best for you. The T-bone steak is, is out there for you and we, we just want you to enjoy yourself. Notice she's mixed wine. Now they drank wine at every meal. So what would wine signif- be significant of? The idea and the significance of the mixed wine is the best of the best. She has put out the best food and the best drink for you. And the idea here is that what wisdom is saying is not only can you be secure, but you can understand and know that the sustenance you need for life is there, not just with bread and water, but with the absolute fairest of all fair, the best of the best to be placed before you. You will be protected and you will be well fed in the house of wisdom. Notice she's fully prepared. She has everything ready before you get there. She's not running around vacuuming like some of us do when we invite guests over, trying to dust, trying to throw everything in that hallway closet and jamming it shut when the doorbell rings. I know you've been there, sinners. You don't have to confess it to me. She's not doing that. She is fully ready. She has established all that she is, which shows you that wisdom isn't flying by the seat of its pants but that it's prepared, it recognizes what needs to be done, and it's ready when the moment it needs to be used. You see, for some of us, we know that we are not wise people because we are flying by the seat of our pants. The decisions we make are not, are not thought through decisions because they're decisions of human understanding, not of godly wisdom. Notice also that as she is uh, doing all of this, once everything is prepared, she is then ready and able to be of service to you. She's not busy doing other things. You want to talk about uh, what's going on in your life, and she's busy in the kitchen trying to finish up the last portions of the meal. She is ready, and in fact, what she does so that she will be even more prepared is she sends out her maidens. So she has maidens around her, and I'm not sure what the significance of young maidens is, but it's young maidens that she sends out. And she sends them out, and they call from the highest of places down to the common pathways. And she says to them, all come. Invite all to come. Tell them of the, of the house that I have. Tell them of the, the food that I've prepared. I want you to recognize that the house that she has invited people to has seven pillars, which is also significant in the sense that seven pillars in a home means that it's an expansive home. That, that whoever the maidens are able to bring in, there's plenty of room in wisdom's home. That is, first of all, the calling of the wise. And she's done a good job. She's done a great job, in fact, of advertising what is there. And what a great sales pitch she gives. What a great opportunity for us to see what is offered by the wise or by wisdom. But notice in verses 13 through 18, there's another choice before us, and that is the calling of the wild. And it's the second woman who comes, and likewise, notice who she's calling to. Both wisdom and folly call out to the simple. In fact, they use the same sales pitch. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Come in here. Come into my home. And so both are going to use the same sales pitch. But instead of Lady Lady, uh, Folly, if you will, showing the stability of her home, she invites people into her home by her cunning. 
It tells us in verse 13 she's seductive. She's loud. Don't ask her any questions because she has no idea what she's talking about. All we know is that she has a lot to offer through what she says and what she shows. She's lazy. How do we know that she's lazy? Notice in verse 14 that she sits at the door of her house and she takes a seat on the highest places of the town. Sitting either is an idea of being prepared or a sign of laziness. In Psalm chapter 1, David says that uh, an unwise man, an unbiblical man, a man that is pursuing a life of sin, sits in the seat of scoffers. Just kind of hanging out, just kind of, just kind of throwing their feet up and, and a lazy view of things. Notice, she doesn't send anybody out. She's not prepared in any way. She hasn't set the table or anything. You've seen none of that. She has a house. We're not sure of the durability of the house. Sometimes maybe it stands in times of storm. Sometimes it falls. She doesn't point to its structure. But what she does is sits out on her front porch and she calls out to those who pass by. She doesn't go looking for anyone. Just as they walk by, as you and I walk by, she calls out. And as we're on the straight path, she calls out, hey, get off the straight path and and come inside. What is she going to offer when they're brought into the house? We know that wisdom had much to give. Notice what this folly tells us. Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. The idea here is I don't have much to offer, but what I do have is bread and water. It'll keep you alive, but you won't enjoy it that much. But here's how she sweetens the deal. She says there's something exhilarating when you steal the water. There's something exhilarating when you do something in secret. The idea there of of secret bread being eaten is an allusion to sexual immorality. It's an adulterous relationship. And what she's offering is, hey, you come in and I will give you all that I have, even myself, and you don't have to tell anybody about it. You don't have to tell anybody you were in my house. You don't have to tell anybody you drank my drink. You don't have to tell anybody that you uh, ate my bread. That's just between the two of us. And isn't there something exhilarating about something just between the two of us? A captured moment, you know, advertisers say it this way. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You don't have to tell anybody what you did. You don't have to tell anybody where you've been. Just enjoy yourself. And if you like some certain thing that you know may be taboo to, to the people around you, don't tell anybody. Just between you and I. If you want to be a part of that, that fetish, that, that little thing that, that you know is, is immoral, don't worry about it. I'm not here to judge. I'm here to just give you more of it. And so she places before us an advertisement. And so we have two women. Two women that, that show us why we should enter their home and be a part of their lives And the decision, right at that moment, we come to that choose-your-own-adventure point in, in the message, in the book, if you will, where we have to ask the question this morning, which way will we go? Will we go the way of wisdom, or will we go the way of folly? 
Will we enjoy the sustenance at the table of a well-structured home where maidens have called us to come and participate, who have invited us? Or will we, as we're walking, not looking to eat, not looking to drink, but here out of a, a home as we pass by, someone says, hey, come on in. There's much to enjoy in this place. But you got to do it in secret. you got to do it with stolen things. A decision has to be made. This morning, are you living for wisdom or are you living amidst folly? Notice that once we look at these two appeals of delight, notice that we next see an atrocious decision. An atrocious decision. And I want you to notice what the first word in, in, in that point in the outline is, and that's our. We have a decision to make. And right away, many of you will say, I am choosing wisdom. And I want you to know that the Bible points to humanity over and over and over again. That when wisdom and folly were placed before our spiritual ancestors, even physical ancestors, Adam and Eve, they chose folly. When the patriarchs at moments in time had the opportunity to choose wisdom and folly, They chose folly. When the great King David had an opportunity to choose wisdom or folly, he chose folly. When the disciples had an opportunity to choose wisdom or folly, they chose folly. When you and I have had opportunity to choose woman wisdom or lady folly, we have chosen folly over and over and over again. You see, the book of Proverbs wants to remind you and I that we are the simpletons. That we are the unwise. I pray that you don't walk away from our series in the book of Proverbs and say, yep, I did this and I did that and I did the other thing. I am wise. I should get an award for the Proverbs Award of the Year. I am really good at that. It's a great reminder of of when we look at Proverbs 31 and we'll preach those things on Mother's Day and, and women will be able to walk away and say, look, I'm a Proverbs 31 woman. I want you to recognize this morning what the book of Proverbs reminds us of isn't that we met the mark, but that we missed it every time. That we're unwise. We're fools. We've got things all messed up. When we have the opportunity to go in the best of homes with the best of food and the best of company, we choose the garbage dump, the sewer, instead of that. And so notice what the scriptures teach us, and I'll give you each of the subpoints in this in one uh, line this morning. We choose the simple life filled with sin, filled with sin and scoffing, put that down as well, that leads to Sheol. We see that that's what is an opportunity for us in chapter 9 of Proverbs. And so notice, let's take each of these at, at one point. We choose the simple life. Doesn't that sound glorious? Some of you today want to choose the simple life. Some of you are looking with great affection to the moments that you'll be able to retire and just enjoy the simple life. And our retired folks are saying, "Ah, you got another thing coming. But that's not what Solomon's talking about at all. Some years ago, uh, this was John Elwood's favorite show. It involved Paris Hilton and Nicole Ritchie. I'm kidding, John. Sorry, brother. Bust your chops. It's because your dad's sitting next to you this morning. But there was a show that had Paris Hilton and, and Nicole Richie, two debutantes, if you will, of Hollywood culture. 
both born into multi-multi-million dollar families. And all they knew was Rodeo Drive. All they knew was Tiffany's. And the Simple Life was a, was a, a reality show where they would take these debutantes, if you will, from Hollywood, and they'd put them out in Midwest country USA. They'd put them on a farm with, with God-fearing, gun-toting farmers. And how would these debutantes do? And the Simple Life, I'm amazed as I did some research on this, they chose the term the Simple Life not because life on the farm was slower, but they understood what Solomon meant that simple isn't a good thing. Because in each of the episodes, one of the goals was to find a way to make Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton look stupid. And of course, they were too dumb to recognize that. And so they'd put them on tractors, and they'd crash the tractor. They'd put them on hay balers, and the hay would go flying. They would have them try to make a country meal, and and they wouldn't know what to do. And they showed over and over again that these two women that have all kinds of luxury that they've lived in aren't ready for the real world, if you will. And what the Bible points out is very similar That when God puts us into reality, we think we're smart. We think we know the right way to go. And God just continues to show us we're morons. We, We don't have it figured out. We don't know what to do. And here's the thing. Instead of pursuing what we should be pursuing, that is our God, we start trying to figure it out on our own. And so notice This simple life is a life that is gullible, that has no moral direction, and is spiritually at risk of all kinds of threats and dangers from sin. And so we have, as a result of our sin, put ourselves in a place where we are unwise creatures. We are gullible to all types of spiritual distress that can come in our lives so that when that woman calls from her house and says, hey, come on in. There's stolen water and and secret bread. Come and eat. I I know God's given you an opportunity to go and feast in his house, but, but that's too hard of a journey. That's too difficult of a way to go. Come, this is the easy way. Come, this is the fun way. I want you to know this is the good times are here. This is where life is lived. And instead of being wise, we find ourselves in folly. I want you to turn your Bibles for a moment to what happens in Romans 1, what happens to humanity as a result of the life of folly. So keep your hands or your finger in in Proverbs 9 and turn to Romans 1 for a moment. In Romans 1, Paul is creating this legal understanding of what happens because of our foolishness. Now, where did our foolish days begin? They began in the Garden of Eden. They began when Adam and Eve chose folly over wisdom and thrusted all of us in humanity into their sin. Now, you can get mad at them, but I also want to remind you that the moment we have opportunity, we do the same thing. And so I want you to notice what what takes place. In verse 18, starting in verse 18, it tells us, starting in verse 21, that though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So we make a decision. We see God's house that he built. 
with all of the glorious things that he has in it, and we say, yeah, yeah, we know that you've got a great house. Now, how do we know that God's got a great house? He's shown us. Paul has told us in Romans 1 that he shows us through the visible qualities that have been shown throughout creation. That it's plain to us. We see the house and the life that God gives. All we have to do is look at creation and we stop and we see his visible creation and then we can see some of his invisible attributes that this all-powerful God is all-powerful because he made this world and all of the universe in six days. Wow! What an amazing God! What an amazing house! God, God, just like Lady Wisdom, it begins to point out the pillars Look how I hold the earth in its access. Look how I hold the cosmos in its place. Look at how I treat animal and plant life, how I take care of you humans in the way that I do. You have everything that you need for life and and for, for pleasure. It's all there for you. God has shown us his house, and he invites us into a relationship. But what do we do? We had the opportunity to know God, but we became foolish Notice what verse 22 says. Claiming to be wise, we became fools. The moment that we choose foolishness, it isn't just one decision that is made. It's numerous decisions that are made. And Paul reiterates that for us. So notice what he says in in verse 28. Because we did not see fit to acknowledge God, we did not go into his home. God gave us up. What he did was he said, fine, go into Folly's house. I'm not going to stop you. I've showed you what I've got, and you've said it's not good enough, and, and you've seen what the world has, what the devil gives, what sin can, can bring about, and you've chosen sin over my home. So go. Notice what we do. We go in full, full force. We're filled with all kinds, notice, of immorality and righteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. It produces in us fullness of envy, murder, and strife, deceit, maliciousness. Because of it, we're gossips and slanderers. We're haters of God. We're insolent. We're haughty. We're boastful. We're inventors of evil. We're disobedient to parents. Notice in verse 31, we're foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. That which is normal, that which is According to nature, we flip it on its head and we say, no, that which is unnatural is really natural. That which is good is bad and bad is good. And we flip up all the definitions and do all the things that a foolish world does instead of pursuing God. And it's filled with all kinds of sin. Notice the scoffing. We claim to be wise. So what we tell the world is we're smart. We've got it all figured out, this God thing, this holiness thing. We've got it figured out. Live for self, do what I want to do. I've got it all figured out. But all of our talking and all of our, if you will, time in the pulpit reminds us that God is truly wise and we are foolish. And so notice back in Proverbs chapter 9, if you you can remember there, that the middle part of the segment is all about scoffers. Three times scoffing is brought up, and God says, don't don't mess with a scoffer. Just leave them be. And what God has done is God has said to humanity, I'll leave you be. You want to live a life of folly? Live away. I'm not going to get in your way. 
I'm only going to continue to show you that my wrath is being built up and that at one point, at some moment in time, I will unveil that wrath and you will not want to be there, but you'll have to endure it. So notice this then leads to where? It leads to Sheol. Notice that when you enter into the house of folly, when you pursue these sins that Paul talks about in Romans 1, where does it end up? It ends up with you hanging around dead bodies. Little do you know, little does the world of folly know that where they are heading is to a place of destruction, that they will spend eternity with a bunch of dead people. I want you to see the thing that is going on here. You can dine with Christ in the house of wisdom, or you can dine with corpses. That's the decision that you have. Now you say, well, well, if I knew that, then I wouldn't go there. And wisdom is calling out. You're hanging with dead people. You're living the life of a corpse. Where you're going is destruction. Come and be a part of my house. Be a part of my life. Be a part of my table And that is why Paul says that every man, woman, and child is without excuse. Because the gospel goes out and wisdom goes out and says, Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. It is wisdom that said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And folly, over and over again, rejects the invitation of God. It scoffs at it. It shakes its fist at it and says, We hate you, God. We are going to do it our own way. And so notice the atrocious decision that each of us make as sinners. We've made it. So what do we do? Notice that we can live in the abode of the dead, and God could have left us there. But wisdom has another word for us. Notice the answer to the dilemma. We're in Sheol at this point. We're hanging around with corpses. We're awaiting our destruction. And the scripture reminds us that while the message has gone, we all like sheep have gone astray, each to our own way. Why? Because we thought we could do it better than the shepherd could. We thought we could lead ourselves to greener pastures than where the shepherd could lead us. And because of that, the wage of sin upon us is death. And we are hopeless creatures. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the things of God when we are in our sin are utter folly to us. So that which is wise looks foolish to us. We're like, why would we even go that way? God, what a messed up way to live a life, God. I'm going to do it my own way. And so notice what the answer is. The answer to our dilemma in Proverbs 9 is found in verses 10 and 11. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. Let's just stop there for a moment. Wisdom speaks. And wisdom says, get to know me. Live for me. Come when I ask you to come. Eat of what I've given you to eat. Drink of my drink and your days and years will be multiplied. You'll live literally in in abundance. See, we need to remember something about the book of Proverbs. Don't ever forget this. Proverbs is not a book of maxims alone. It is a book. Listen, it's a book about wisdom and wisdom, write this down, is a person. 
It is Jesus Christ. Wisdom is Jesus Christ calling out to us, come to me, come to me, eat with me, dine with me, relate with me, live as I live. Get as close to me as possible. Jesus is the pers- uh, personification of godly wisdom. Jesus shows us how wisdom walks and talks. It's in Jesus that we see how wisdom loves and endures trials. It is Jesus who teaches us how wisdom deals with the good times and the bad times. It is Jesus who shows us how wisdom shows mercy and how we are to share wisdom with all. It is Jesus who shows us what wisdom is all about. And in our great folly, when we pushed away wisdom, when we pushed away Jesus, Jesus showed us how wisdom lays itself down so that we might be given another opportunity to live in that wisdom. By the power and choosing of God, God has given an invitation. He's given an invitation for all to come. And the only way you'll come is if God opens your eyes, if God opens your ears, if God wakens in your soul a heart for wisdom instead of folly, because apart from God, you will always choose folly over wisdom. And so God in his sovereign goodness has said, I'm going to open up the hearts of people so that they may respond to me. If you think Proverbs is just about how to get better in your finances and in your marriage and parenting, how not to be jealous or lazy, then you've only heard half of the story. Wisdom is calling each of us to leave our lives of folly and self-sufficiency and pursuit of the adulterous life full of all types of things which only lead to destruction. Jesus is calling out to attend a feast, not a funeral. So you've heard today that your life apart from God is folly. It may seem like fun. It may be pleasurable for a season, but in the end it leads to death. Jesus has come, and he has announced that wisdom is what should be had. But how do we get it? Notice there's a pattern. How do we embrace this person? Notice, first of all, it involves responding to God's invitation. Write that down in your outlines. It's responding to God's invitation. Jesus is crying out to you today. Come, eat of my bread and drink of my wine that I have mixed. He has said, uh, come, for by me your days will be multiplied and your years will be added to your life. Jesus is inviting you. Will you receive him? Will you take him as your own? But in order to receive him, you have to leave something. Notice what the text says. Not only do do we need to respond to God's invitation, but we need to repent of our foolish ways. Write that down. Repent of our foolish ways. Verse 6. Leave your simple ways so that you may live and walk in the way of insight. Listen, you cannot embrace wisdom while you embrace folly at the same time. You can't do it. And so what Jesus says is, if you're going to embrace me, that means you've got to stop hugging the things in your past. You've got to give those things up. Now, now, are you going to be able to do that in full measure day one? Probably not. 
But what you'll be able to do is by the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit, your embrace for the foolish things of the past will become less and less and your embrace for Jesus will become more and more. But you gotta say to those things that used to be fun, that, you, that, that are still exciting to you, that they're folly, they're foolishness. They have no place in the life of the believer. We have to repent of our foolish ways. And so we turn to Jesus and we turn away from our sin. But notice also it involves rejoicing. We rejoice in the grace of Jesus. You see, grace enables us to experience the life in him. Our lives will be multiplied and wisdom and understanding will become our kin, our brother, our sister. It's there that God's grace allows us to be wise. You see, it's by God's grace we can be better parents. By God's grace we can be better husbands and wives. By God's grace we can be better employees or employers. By God's grace we can be better friends. We can manage our money better. It is by God's grace that we're able to do all of those things. So stop pinning things on your chest. I'm really good at this. I'm really good at that. I've got the book of Proverbs down. No, the book of Proverbs reminds you, you are lost and I'm lost in our folly. And it's Jesus' wisdom who comes and is nailed to the cross that gives us a second opportunity by his overwhelming spirit to live for him and to do things right. So we've got to trust him. Do you trust wisdom? Do you trust Jesus this morning that his ways produce life and blessing? If you haven't, then go on your merry way. Eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy your life because the enjoyments will be in this life at the most and not the life to come. We need to forsake our foolish ways. We need to dine with the Savior who's invited us. Are you enjoying the food at his table? Are you enjoying his drink? Here's the thing. What grace enables us to do is grace takes us from the enemy of God who's shaking his fist at the door of God saying, I will never go in. Grace changes the heart of you and I. And what it does is it doesn't just give us some sustenance outside, but grace welcomes us into the banquet table, sets us at the head of the table, and allows us to rejoice. When I was a young boy, I would get in lots of trouble. I know that's a surprise to many of you. And my father would, would take me and, and discipline me. And, and when we were at my grandma's house, my, my grandma always recognized a level of shame that, that came to a young boy or a young girl that had been chided by her mom and dad. And so one of the things my grandmother from Iraq used to do was she would come after the fathers had had their talks with the child. She would come in and say, okay, you leave. And she would tell my dad. I always loved that because someone was telling my dad what to do and he would do it. And so she would say, you, you leave. And she was about four foot, six inches tall. She was a little lady. And, and she would come in and she'd say, come child, come. And we'd go into the bathroom and, and she would wash with a warm washcloth your face and get all the tears out of your eyes and all the puffiness that came with discipline. And, and she would then bring us out and she'd say, it's time for food. It's time for dinner. And she would tell my grandfather, John, you move. Tim is going to sit at the head of the table. And it was this restored fellowship. No more crying. No more discipline, no more punishment, but rejoicing. 
And some of us need to recognize this morning, if we're children of God, there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What took place in our past, our folly ways of living in the past are gone. God has come by the power of his blood and washed our sins away, and he takes us and he elevates us to sit as heirs to the throne of God himself, and he says, hey, sit here, enjoy my food, enjoy my drink, enjoy my fellowship, and some of us as Christians have forgotten that, that the Christian life is a place filled with enjoyment and praise to our God in heaven. This is what Proverbs is all about. And let us remember this. Let us live in light of it. Because when we do, the word says, we'll live in abundance. Not only here and now, but in the life to come. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this series and the book of Proverbs. We thank you that it comes from your word, from your mouth. Now, Lord, open our ears, open our hearts to receive it. Lord, I pray for the individual this morning who has walked into this place. Maybe this is the hundredth message they've heard from this place or from a pulpit like it, Lord, where they have heard wisdom being cried out from the streets to embrace it and to to respond to it. And maybe, Lord, there's a person out there that never has. They're living in their folly. Maybe right now, Lord, they're enjoying it. They're at the, uh, the pinnacle of, of a life filled of immorality and sin and, and the pleasures of this world. But they've heard once again, Lord, and maybe even for the first time, that that life leads to destruction. It leads to an eternity of weeping and wailing and, and gnashing of teeth in a place called hell. For that person today, Lord, I pray that they would bow the knee to you and, and, and seek to turn from those foolish ways and to receive and respond to your invitation this morning. That's a daunting task, Lord, and so I, I welcome, Lord, anyone who will come, talk with me, talk with the person that's sitting next to them, Lord, that they would not leave this place without knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ is wisdom that has paid the price in the person of Jesus so that we might have life and have it in all abundance. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who have, who have come to the, the place of wisdom, not on our own, but because of the grace of God, and I pray that they would live lives of wisdom, that we would be wise, not in our own understanding, but by your Spirit, that we would be filled with the full measure of wisdom through your Word and by your Spirit. That because of that, we'll make wise decisions. Because of that, we'll have wise relationships. Because of that, we'll be able to give wise advice to those who ask. That we might be able, through the wisdom you give us, to point to wisdom himself, Jesus Christ. We need your wisdom, Lord. We need your wisdom each and every hour. And so fill us with it. Lord, let us hunger for it. Let us position ourselves so that we can be recipients of it each and every day. So we may not sin against you, but we might live for your glory and your fame. Now, Lord, send us out into this world of folly and let us shine like stars. Not of our own making, but because you have saved us. And let us be quick to tell others where your wisdom can be found. 
as your young maidens went out in Proverbs 9, that we would be those who would go out to the four corners of this world yelling that, that wisdom has come and invites all to enter in. Let us do that this week for you, Lord, because of what you've done for us. Now send us forth from this place in the fellowship of your, of your people as we share wisdom with one another, the wisdom we gain from you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. And thank you for the opportunity now to live wise lives for you. It's in your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.